Welcome to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask Podcasts. I'm Amy Hall, and Greg Kokel's here with me I to am. answer your questions. Hello, mm-hmm. Greg. <laughs> Let's start with a question from Catherine. We have used the same family photographer for years. We are not close, but friendly. I know her to be a Christian. Recently, she took professional photos for a divorce mediator and has shared this person's social media posts with the photography on her own social media pages. I feel convicted in, about this enough to potentially not hire her again. Should I say something? Okay, I'm not sure I understand what took place. She took pictures of a divorce mediator. Um, Sounds to me like she's a professional photographer. A divorce mediator had her take her professional pictures. And so then the divorce mediator is using her pictures and the To the promote Christ- the divorce mediator. Right. And then the Christian is putting those pictures to promote her work as a photographer on her social media. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Um, I think so. Right. So, yeah, this is another one of those tricky questions. Is taking serving the needs of a business, which business is a divorce mediator, is that partici- Is that doing something immoral? Because if it's not, then putting the pictures as part of the portfolio of the Christian photographer wouldn't be immoral either. So I think that's the real question. Now, I, I, I don't—it's not clear to me that a divorce mediator is someone— who's doing something immoral. Now, agreed, the vast majority of divorces do not satisfy the biblical requirements, but if they are not, well, I was going to say if they're not Christians, they're not held to the biblical requirements, but even so, it would still be wrong in God's eyes. Uh, Divorce mediators I'm just trying to work this through, and maybe I'm just thinking out loud a little bit, but divorce mediators mediate divorces, that is, people who have already decided to get divorced, all right? And what they do is they try to make the circumstances uh, less harmful and more equitable for each party. I think that would be a fair presumption about that. So, arguably, at least, they are taking a bad circumstance, and they are taking some of the evil out of it. They're making a bad thing as best as best as it can be, given that the bad thing is going to be bad. I have a suspicion that some divorce mediators are successful in repairing the marriages, too. I don't know. It's not my field. I haven't talked to a lot of them, but I would be surprised if, because there are so many difficulties that are added to a relationship when a couple decides to get a divorce— it, this is why you have a mediator to help manage all of these awkward things. It might turn out that it's better not to get divorced and rather work out your own problems. And I would not be at all surprised that that sometimes happens with a divorce mediator. So you could you might have a totally different take on this, Amy. I'm just thinking that I don't. It's not clear to me that a divorce mediator is is doing something that is immoral because the issue in question is divorce. Um, if the divorce is a fait accompli and you have somebody that's entering in that is trying to minimize the negative impacts of this, well, even pastors do that, for goodness sake. 
So uh, why would that? If the divorce mediator was trying to create divorces that wouldn't happen otherwise so they can get the business, no, that's a different situation, but I don't see, it doesn't seem to me that's the case. So I'm just, like I said, thinking out loud. What are your thinking? What are your thoughts on this, Amy? I, similar to you, I'm not entirely sure about this, about uh, the morality. I think it might depend on some things. I don't think she's increasing divorces. I, I, it seems like if she were out there advocating for divorces, that would be one thing. But I agree that this seems to be different. And what comes to mind here is the idea of, say, a public defender. So the idea with lawyers, this is, I'm giving an illustration, I'm not saying she's a lawyer, but the idea with lawyers is that every person deserves uh, representation in front of the, you know, before the law, even if they're guilty. And that's, that has a longstanding um, kind of tradition in our law. Although people now are having a hard time with people who defend certain people, but it used to be, you know, think of John Adams. I think, yeah, that's yeah, right. And um, who defended the, the British is, who were responsible yeah. for the Boston Massacre and actually got an acquittal for all the soldiers because they, in fact, were not um, guilty of the, the crime that they were being accused of. Right. So there's nothing. There's nothing wrong. With that, there's nothing wrong with that, and this seems to me to be something a little bit similar to that. In that, when a divorce is happening, now you need some uh, some kind of fairness and working out of the situation where you can actually, you know, this this is also like the law that that God gave about divorce. God hates divorce, but He gave provisions for divorce to mitigate kind of the evils of it. Right. So that seems like this might be what's going on with her, unless she's increasing divorces somehow, which um, we don't know. Mentioned Greg, <laughs> that yes, would be. But that would seem weird. Yeah, yeah look, yeah. there's plenty of divorces available. <laughs> Just like you've got a shortage in the market. Yeah, and and finally, there are legitimate reasons for divorce. So it's not that every single divorce is illegitimate. So I would recommend if it. If it's bothering you, maybe you could get some more information from her and maybe express your concerns and say, what do you know about this organization? How have you worked this out? Because maybe she actually has an answer for why uh, she's comfortable putting these pictures on there. And she could probably give you more information about what's going on with this woman's organization. But imagine imagine there are there that somebody has a legitimate reason for a divorce and then this woman is available who will deal fairly with her and make sure she's not taken a you know the wife or whoever has been wronged is not taken advantage of in the divorce now surely you would not have any difficulty with that so i think there's a lot to consider there right hard one let's go on to a question from rick what is being symbolized by Jesus washing the disciples' feet in John 13? And what does he mean when he says we should wash one, an- one another's feet? Okay, um, he doesn't mean we should wash one another's feet. It's interesting, the question, what is being symbolized? It is being symbolized. The disciples didn't all give up their roles to become foot washers. 
In fact, some of the disciples even refused to wait tables. Acts chapter 7, I think. And the reason is that they each understood that they had different responsibilities, and those who were capable of teaching the Word and leading were not going to um, suffer the distraction of having to wait tables and then not be able to do the thing that they were uniquely qualified to do. So the point of Jesus having the disciples, or rather washing the disciples' feet, this is John 13, which is the first chapter of the Upper Room Discourse. And he explains it to them, okay? Um, And um, let me just, I, I don't know if I could find the exact passage to read it to you. It's somewhere in John 13, but I I wasn't. uh, uh, What I do, verse 7, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Okay, notice the statement. What I do, you do not realize now. Wait a minute. Didn't they know he was washing their feet? Of course they did. He wasn't referring to that. But you will understand hereafter. You're going to understand why I'm doing this symbolic thing. I'm teaching you a lesson. Um, and, uh, and when he's done, he says, um, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, reclined a table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Um, truly, I say, a slave is not greater than his master, nor one who is sent greater than one who sent him. Um, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So it seems clear to me that he was not commissioning his disciples to become foot washers, but to do the kind of thing that foot washing represented in that circumstance, which he spoke of at other times, that the greatest will be the least, or the least of you will be the greatest, and that we are to to give ourselves over to serving other people. This is, even means doing what otherwise might seem to be demeaning or humbling tasks, because our job is to serve and not to be served. And that's what Jesus said. I came to serve, not to be served, but to give my life a ransom for many, which is what he did soon after. He died on the cross that next day. Um, this is the the Last Supper on Thursday night, and Good Friday is when Jesus was crucified. So this is a visual example of the greatest be- acting as the lead at least, lowering himself. Um, And the act of lowering oneself relative to others or boosting others up relative to oneself is called humility. And so he shows humility. It was shocking. Even Peter says, you're not going to touch my feet. And she said, yes, I am, or else you have no part of me. And he said, okay, then give me a whole bath. You know, Peter, man of extremes. But um, uh, I do not think, it, it strikes me as this is pretty straightforward, obvious. This is not about learning to wash people's feet, but learning to do the kind of thing that foot washing represented in this circumstance. 
okay? We, we hear no more about foot washing in the book of Acts, for example. Mm-hmm. We, or anywhere. We, anywhere. So he, he wasn't commissioning foot washers. He was commissioning servant leaders. And the servant part of leadership manifests itself in different ways in different circumstances. And so in Acts 7, I think that's where it was, when the women who were Hellenistic Jewish widows were not being cared for like the 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 Israeli or is the regular Jewish widows, the domestic the, the the ones that were Jewish who lived in Israel were being treated, then there was a problem. Okay, somebody had to take care of this, and this is where the deacons came in. But the apostles said, We're not gonna we're not gonna wait tables. We got more important work to do. So their servant leadership looked different than say um the servant leadership of the deacons which included Stephen, by the way, who we read about in the chapters later, and the first martyr in the text. So I think that's what Jesus was after. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of this in First Peter, where Peter compares to Christ, um, when he talks about Christ being humble and serving others, and um, and then he and then Peter says, we should be humble. He, he says this over and over in serving others. So um, I think that is the idea. I just want to also point out that this whole story is framed by Judas's betrayal. It starts off by mentioning the, the devil being put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, that he would betray him. And it ends, again, with Jesus saying he's, he's going to be betrayed. So what we have here is Judas who is betraying Jesus for personal gain. He's trying to gain something mm-hmm. through betrayal. And then you have Jesus who at the very beginning of this whole chapter, it talks about how he has, it says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. So here here you have Judas trying to gain something and you have Jesus who has everything laying it aside to wash people's feet and serve them. I think that also underscores his the confidence in his own identity, who he was, that gave him the latitude to humble himself. It was mm-hmm. a sacrifice, but it isn't an ego sacrifice. He knew who he was so he could let go. And mm-hmm. this is where I mean, there's very broad application to this in lots of relationships. Some think of marital relationships. Sometimes we don't have to press an issue if we are confident in where we are in Christ and in the role we're playing in a family, for example, and then we feel ill-treated or whatever. We can still take the lower station in virtue of our confidence of where we know we belong. Yes. So, so Jesus served others rather than using them for his gain. And so that's what he's demonstrating. He's he's lowering himself to serve the needs of others in humility. Mm-hmm. All right, Greg, let's squeeze one more in here. Mm-hmm. This one comes from Dave. Is it okay to live with a member of the opposite sex even though we are not sexually active? We are single individuals living together and not married. Well, I... I think there are there are some circumstances in which, especially nowadays, that doesn't look like a compromising situation. Now there are I know there are people that are going to disagree with me on this, and that's okay. Um, it may not always be a good idea, all right, uh, but at the same time, 
Um, if there's a relationship involved and we're cohabiting and we're boyfriend, girlfriend, it's going to be really hard to stay out of each other's beds. But if you have, you know, a, 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 another roommate who shares part of the house and has their own private section of the house and you have yours and that's a member of the opposite sex. Um, now, I, I'm I'm I guess I'm more comfortable with that. The um, one complaint would be, or, or concern that's raised, is, uh, well, that gives the appearance of evil. Well, I don't know that it does. I don't know that everybody who sees people walking in, two different sexes walking in, is assuming that they're doing evil things. I don't know if that's true anymore. There's, there seems to be quite a bit of this going on, this kind of cohabiting circumstance. And uh, and it doesn't seem to raise any eyebrows. So I I don't I don't know. I I, I tend my my tendency is to be um, in this situation to be a little bit flexible on that because I think it can be a harmless circumstance. But I think we have to be careful how it looks to others, you know. But again, I'm some Christians are going to say no, no, never, never, uh, uh, uh. That's all wrong. Okay. Um, well, I respect that. Well, I might be one of those people. <laughs> I think what I would say is I, I definitely would not recommend it. And the reason why, well, one reason why is because you're opening yourself up to all sorts of issues that you might end up having to deal with that you can't foresee. Mm-hmm. But secondly, um, I think it's similar to to what Paul talks about uh, encouraging others to go against their conscience. So let's say you have a perfectly reasonable situation where you have separate parts of the house or whatever, and it's it works out fine. Maybe you're longtime friends. I don't know what the situation might be. But um, when other Christians see that, they could be emboldened to go against their conscience, or they could be... That you could be normalizing the situation in a way that could encourage other people to sin, and there's really no reason to because there. Just a clarification: when you say encourage others to sin, that they would be emboldened to do the same thing, even though they believed it was actually wrong. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yes, or they could be. Uh, they could get into a situation that ends up being a really unwise thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it, I think it's better that we do not normalize this is kind of what I'm saying, mm-hmm. because the, the more kind of barriers we have um, in terms of expectations and uh, the situations. Yeah. And the situations we put ourselves in, it's just, there are so many people of the same sex as you. I don't know why you, you would um, invite all of these difficulties by, by sharing a, a house or an apartment with somebody of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. So the, I think what it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's unwise. And mm-hmm. was the question whether it was moral or not? It just said it's okay. Is it okay? Yeah. So it may not be immoral, but it may be unwise. We, um, and it may be immoral. I don't know. Sometimes you can put yourself in a situation where that specific situation is not immoral, but you're putting yourself in a situation that could very easily become immoral. 
Yeah, well, that's that a, that's a causal slippery slope situation. Well, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. So it's a wisdom issue because you cannot foresee the issues that will come up, and so why even put yourself in that situation? Now, maybe this person who's asking is already in that situation, and I don't know. But I, Greg, you you said um, people don't think it's evil, but I think also that the the people who are not Christians who see this, they will be assuming something is going on. See, right? that's what I mean, I'm don't not. You think? Well, when you say people don't see it as evil, I was what I meant was I don't think that non Christians are going to assume something's going on. That's that's what I I don't think is the case. Okay, I, I that's where because I because culture I has shifted so much. But my my. Thinking on that would be that culture has shifted in a direction where it's so commonplace that they assume that's what it is. Okay. And if that's the well, case, that's certainly now, possible. Yeah, and if that's the case, now you're you're communicating something about Christianity to them. Mm-hmm. So I think there are a lot of things to consider here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think it's cut and dried, and I'm not advocating it. You know, mm-hmm. I was trying to press the issue of its. In a sense, the absolute morality or whatever, but well, you said a lot, a lot of, of good qu- things here. And, and by the way, questions- and I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say a lot of these questions are really hard to answer if we don't have all the details. So whoever's right. listening, we're trying to give you overall ideas to consider in your situation, and mm-hmm. hopefully you can apply that to whatever your details are. And, and it may be a good policy to just say whenever there's a kind of ambiguity better err on the side of safety and this is part of a big part of what you're saying you know even if mm-hmm. even if i could stretch it and say well it might not be morally wrong it just there's so many liabilities it might be best just to avoid that entirely that's smart well thanks everyone for your questions we hope to hear from you soon on twitter with the hashtag scr this is amy hall and greg kokel for stand to reason